Let's pray as we begin and open up God's word this morning. Almighty God, you are a holy and a righteous God. Father, each one of us comes in, in the presence of you, Lord. At times we come broken, fractured, sinful, disobedient, bruised, battered, scarred. And Lord, you say, come to me, all of you that you will give us rest in weary hearts and weary souls. Lord, that you, that you heal our wounds. You forgive our sins. You provide us peace, Lord, where there's disunity and discomfort in our lives. You show us your compassion whenever we're hurt and we're struggling. You give us healing, Father, whenever we're sick, when we're sick in the flesh and when we're sick in the spirit. Lord, you are love. And you've given each and every one of us a token of that love. Lord, by the indwelling of your spirit to remind us of that love. all made possible through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, and it's by him that the very word that we open up this morning has power. It's by him that the word that we read from today has life and that it speaks to us, Lord, and if we're willing to listen, and, and I pray that we are, that you open our hearts and if we're willing to listen, Lord, you will transform us. Lord, from the inside, from our souls, to from there pour out in our behavior a people that honor you, that follow you, that seek your righteousness, that seek your holiness that follow in the footsteps of your son, Jesus Christ. The one true holy one who we seek to mimic in glorifying you, our Father. Speak to us this morning, Lord, through your word. Lord, by your spirit, as, even as I open my mouth this morning, Father, I just pray that the words that you that you give me are not mine. That they are you, Lord, speaking to your people. That you, it is you, Lord, even speaking through me to me. Because your word has power. Your word has life. It has transformation. And we seek that, Lord, your righteousness and your kingdom with all of our heart. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of the blessings that you've given us and for how you are going to bless us today. 
In Christ I pray. Amen. Amen. We're in the second uh, part of a series called Bringing It to the Table. And as you can tell, we've got our little table set up here. Uh, this is probably a little bit smaller than the Thanksgiving table that you may have, unless you have a very small family. Um, usually several folks sitting around the table, kids, family members from afar, some people will invite friends. But there's, there's, as we get ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas and just this season that seems to relish the meal time together, I think it's important that we kind of we understand the, 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 the environment and the, and the conversations that we might find ourselves in the midst of whenever we're sitting around the table with those folks that we may not sit around the table with very often. And, you know, each one of us, we, we bring something to the table. Some of us, sometimes we, we bring uh, cheerfulness and happiness and joy, and some of us bring bitterness and brokenness and... Um, some of us bring the love of Christ. Some of the people bring the love of self. And how in the world can all of these things get along over a turkey? And we scratch our heads sometimes and we go, how in the world am I going to make it through this Thanksgiving or this Christmas? I know sometimes that we have in the past. And maybe, uh, you know, Lord, if you'll just give me enough grace and peace this, this season, I won't have to pray for it again until next season uh, to get through this meal. And last week we, we talked about, you know, what it, what it looks like sometimes when we're sitting at this table... And we are bringing conversations to the table between ourselves as followers of Jesus and maybe sitting across the table with someone else that follows Jesus but has had a different experience with Christ, that has had a different experience with church and with, with their faith. And, um, and a lot of times that can even draw some tension between brothers and sisters in Christ. And we talked about last week how, um, how we have to be very intentional very intentional about, about not tearing down our faith or tearing down the church in the midst of those conversations. But what was the central figure that allowed that, that allowed the building up of Jesus and his church? What was the central figure? What was the central part of our conversation that we talked about last week? Anybody? Oh my goodness, was nobody here? It's a person. Ah, oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. So we talked about, you know what, don't, when we're talking to other people over at, at, across the table about our faith and about our church and about our small group and about our Bible study and all that, sometimes they can get a little bit divisive. But if we stick to the most fundamental basic thing that I know that we all can agree on as followers of Jesus, and that's just Jesus, then we can ensure that he is going to be built up, he's going to be glorified and honored in the midst of those conversations. And you know what? We can't, we can't be held accountable if we just bring up Jesus and talk about him. Unfortunately, not all of us get to just sit across the table from another person that believes in Jesus or that follows Christ. Some of us are going to be sitting across the table from, well, I don't know how you want to term it. It could be pre-Christian. It could be non-Christian. Uh, not a follower of Jesus. Either way, it's someone who does not follow Christ in their life. Someone who has not made Jesus Christ their Lord. 
a non-Christian, an outsider, so Paul would call it. Not an outsider like a club, but just someone who's outside the faith. And how frustrating can that be sometimes whenever we're sitting across the table from someone, maybe in our family, maybe a close friend, that is outside of the faith. And we find ourselves just kind of kicking around wondering how in the world are we going to have any type of conversation, any type of commonality in, in this meal and make it as peaceful as possible. Because the truth is, as followers of Jesus, we should have a, a completely different outlook and perspective on every aspect of our life. In fact, that's what making Jesus our Lord means. That means that it affects everything about us. And for someone who doesn't follow Jesus, it also affects everything about them. So don't be, don't be surprised or, or even be offended when we're sitting across from someone who doesn't follow Jesus and yet they, they, don't, they don't speak like us. They don't use the same language that we do. Or maybe they, they, we find that they spend their money different than we do. Or they prioritize their time different than we do. Or they raise their children different than we do. See, everything about our relationship with Christ, it, it, it dictates how we, how we move in every aspect, in every thread of our lives. And for those people that have not made Jesus Christ their Lord, they pick and choose from the world. And they have a totally different value system. So how in the world can we find that, that peace in the table when the Lord of the table is different. And I believe that Paul, I believe that Paul makes it abundantly clear, and he gives us some really, really good insight and teaching in the book of Colossians on how we can, and I don't know think that he was specifically talking about having a meal with a non-believer. But I do believe that he meant that anytime you're in close proximity with a non-believer or you're in an environment of people who don't believe like you. And for us, that can be us maybe at Thanksgiving or Christmas or maybe other times of the year. Well, let's look specifically at what Paul says there in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. You see, in our, in our conversations with non-believers, Paul specifically makes some, some um, I think he makes some observations here that we would be, we'd be really blessed and, and we would be, um, I, I think that we're going to find success if we follow Paul's words when talking with non-believers. And some of the things that he talks about are kind of tucked, I think, kind of stealthily within these words that he wrote. Now, the first thing that he says 
that we should do whenever we're in the environment of non-believers is what? Verse 2, that we should be praying. I have no idea how I just miraculously caught a ladybug. He says, devote yourself to prayer and stay alert in it with thanksgiving. See, Paul recognized that we have to do a little bit of, we have to do a little bit of training up before we get to this mealtime. It's not just that we can step up to the table and expect everything to all of a sudden come to us without having spent any time with the Lord and, and hearing from Him and recognizing that He's going to, to speak through us. We've got to spend time with God so that we can be mature in Him before we step into a conversation to where we need to have a, a mature Christian conversation with an outsider. And the way that Paul says that is we have to stay alert with prayer. Devote ourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Hence the reason why we do things like we did this past Friday night. Friday night fight. We're preparing for these times, for these close proximity times that we have around Thanksgiving and Christmas. These family times when we're going to be with people outside of our faith. People that value things different than we do. We need to be praying about that. Paul says that we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Pray without ceasing. Continue to listen for and listen to the voice of God. Dive into his word. Meditate on it. Be immersed in your relationship with him. And he says at the same time that you are praying... He specifically says, pray now, in verse 3 and 4, pray now that God will open a door for us for the message. Now again, I think the kind of the stealthy language in there is that who does, God, who does Paul say opens the door? It's right there. You can cheat. God opens the door. God opens the door. I'm going to repeat that one more time. God opens the door. Say that with me. God opens the door. Because here's what we want to do. We want to come in and we go, Hah! and kick the door open and say, you know what? You need Jesus. To be fair, I don't like doors. Um, I had this conversation with one of my kids last, last week. Uh, slamming doors and locked doors are one of my pet peeves in my house. And I do get a little bit angry at, on occasion. Uh, I've, um, I've threatened to take doors off the hinges, uh, remove all the doors in our house. And the truth is, I don't want to wait for the door to be open from the other side. I'm getting patient. But Paul says, as we're praying, we need to recognize that the movement comes from God through His Spirit. It's only through Him that people will be receptive to any word that we have to say about God. God will open the door. We don't need to be impatient and kick and blast the door down ourselves. And then he says something else that's kind of stealthy language as well. He says in verse 4, he says, so that I may reveal it speaking the mystery of God in the Messiah, the gospel message, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. And then in a similar way, he says at the end of verse 6, he says that we may know how we should answer each person. 
Now, if I'm answering someone, then that means that they have come to me with some form of a question or an inquiry. They didn't come to me because I was sitting there telling them the whole time. They came to me because God opened the door. They inquired. They asked a question. Paul says, and at that point, I am required to speak. At that point in time, we should know how to answer their questions. You see, a lot of times we fail to listen because we are so quick to speak. We feel like we are on a mission from God around the table and that we carry the last chance possible for those people around the table to hear the gospel message. And if we step away from the table without them hearing about the salvation of Jesus Christ at that moment, they're going to go to hell. Congratulations for each one of us. We have just made ourselves God. Because we've decided that it was on our terms, it was on our time, and the power rested with us to deliver the message. You know, this whole idea of being slow being slow to speak, being willing to listen, being willing to wait, be patient. This is not just a Paul idea. If we go even all the way back to Proverbs, to King Solomon, he says, a fool, it doesn't delight in understanding. A fool doesn't sit there and listen and try to understand, but what they do is they only want to show off his opinions. A fool is one that just talks and talks and talks because he wants to show how much he knows. And of course, we know James, the brother of Jesus. The most famous statement about being quick to listen and slow to speak. He says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. How many of us would feel like we are quick to speak and slow to listen? Quick to speak, so to listen. All I did was flip it around there. All right, you guys remember Dave Letterman? All right, kind of dating myself. Dave Letterman used to have this thing on the, on the, the late show called Top Ten. And here's what I figure is the top ten ways for you and I to know that we are slow to listen and quick to speak. Top ten reasons. Now, you, this is kind of personal inventory for yourself. Maybe this is you. I know at least one of them is me. I find myself finishing each other's sentences. If you said the word sentences as I said that word, said that, that might be you. I give my opinions before hearing someone out. I get restless and impatient in the midst of a conversation. I lose track of what's being said. I do that regularly. What did you say? What did you say again? I mentally rehearse what I'm going to say while someone is talking. I mentally rehearse what we listen to respond. We don't we don't hear to listen, right? We don't listen to understand. We like to take control of the conversation. This thing's going nowhere. It's going around in circles. We need to move this thing on. Come on, let's go. I interrupt with frequent comments or questions. 
Maybe I try to diagnose and help fix their problems in the midst of their conversation. I worry about what I'm going to say next. I get a little anxious because I'm not really sure how I'm going to know how to answer whatever this question is that I feel like is coming up. I'm not sure how I'm going to answer that question. Here's mine. This is, this is my number one. I'm suspiciously listening for hidden agendas. I am a... I, I do. I do that regularly. I'm like, okay, what are you selling? What are you, what are you, what are you trying to convince me of? I'm always listening for what's the catch? What's the agenda? It's a, it's a terrible thing to have to get, to get over and to get rid of. But the truth is, when we look at these things, we're kind of doing our own personal inventory, and we think about if we're sitting in, in front of someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, and in our heart, we know that they need to know who Jesus is, this is one of the most difficult things that we can do, is sit there and listen and wait for God to open the door. Please. You know, one of the ways that i found uh, and that I've seen in Scripture that we can improve the way that we listen and see and hear when that door opens is by just merely asking questions. And asking questions is not something that we like to do. We like to, we like to give the answers, but we don't like to ask the questions. I heard a story one time of this young boy about seven years old, uh, we'll call him Johnny because everybody likes little Johnny jokes. Little Johnny was playing with the next door neighbor, Bobby. And as he was playing with Bobby for several hours, Johnny comes running in the house, shuts the door, and he comes up to his dad and he says, Dad, where did I come from? And dad's like, oh, great. I know Bobby and I know his parents. And there's no telling what they've been talking about. So dad sits down with little Johnny, and he says, son, um, have a seat. And he commences to take the next hour and a half to telling his son about the birds and the bees. And as he is explaining all the details, Johnny's eyes were getting huge, like, oh my goodness, this is insane. And by the time that his dad finishes, dad's sweating, Johnny's sweating, and dad goes, well, son, did, did all that make sense? Now you know the answer to your question? And Johnny says, no. He goes, I was out there playing with Bobby, and he said he came from California, and I was just wondering where I came from. Sometimes we are so quick to jump to conclusions and assumptions. We don't stop for just a moment, ask a few questions, get some clarity. So what I'm hearing you saying is this. Son, what do you mean by this? What prompted this particular question? You know, a master of question asking was Jesus Christ himself absolute master of it. In fact, if you go through and you read the gospel accounts, you recognize that Jesus never had a conversation that he was not in charge of, that he was not leading, that he was allowing someone else to dictate what they were going to talk about. And he did that by asking questions. And Jesus asked over 340 questions in the gospels. 
I didn't count them. I did find a book that listed them all out, okay? One of them in the book of Acts. Questions like, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? You know, it, these little questions that have people scratch their head and think and to ponder, to allow for the Holy Spirit to work a little bit on their soul before we begin to speak further. He would say things like, do you believe that I can do this? Or why did you doubt? Or simply, someone come up to him hoping for a miracle and he would look at them and say, what do you want me to do for you? Who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And Paul liked him like him, asked 262 questions in his letters to the churches and pastors. You see, what they both understood was the longer that they could draw out a conversation, the more that they could provide room for the Spirit of God to work in the midst of the conversation and the lives of the people they were speaking with, the more that they were removing themselves from the conversation and allowing God to dive in and open that door. And for us, I think that we would be, we would be very well to sit across from one who doesn't believe and one who doesn't know Jesus Christ and just try to understand where they're coming from. Why do you believe that? Where do you get this from? Explain to me more about why you do this and this. Or does it seem to me, it seems to me, or maybe it seems to you that, that what you're doing here is, is adverse to this other thing you're doing in this part of your life. Ask them some things that make them think. Ask them some things that make them ask you questions. So just as Paul says, we know how to answer each person when we are required to speak. See, I believe that asking questions and listening, it breaks down those barriers, creates an environment of peaceful conversation and makes a space for God to open doors. And you know what is, is just as valuable? It shows those people across the table who don't know Christ that we love and that we care about them. I love this quote from Theodore Roosevelt, and it's been copied several times. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You could have three master's degrees in theology and be sitting across from someone who has never followed Jesus Christ and never known what it was like to be a disciple of his and be freed from the bondage of slavery and sin in his life. And yet if we don't show that person that we care and love with them, one of the most basic tenets in our faith, they're never going to hear a single word that we say. They're never going to receive that gold nugget of the gospel message. And truth be known, 
I have yet to hear of anyone who stood up at the end of a Thanksgiving or or Christmas meal, gave their heart to Christ, and was baptized there in the midst of Thanksgiving. Chances are that is not going to happen. It might. If it does, please come tell me. You will give your testimony up here on the platform, I promise you. But the truth is, as the Spirit of God is working and moving, these times of peaceful conversation, these, this, this space for God to move in His Spirit is going to provide time, is going to provide the, the power of the Spirit working in that person's life to bring them to repentance, to bring them to confession, to bring them to obedience. You see, it's not going to be you and I. It's going to be God through His Spirit doing that. And we're merely just the liaison. The liaison of love, of acceptance, of care. And that doesn't mean that we end up having to water down anything. If you were number 10 on that list and you were listening for an agenda... We're not watering down anything. We don't, we don't refuse to speak the truth of the gospel message, the truth of who Christ is. But through God's Spirit and by prayer and by His prompting, we are able to choose His time and His place. And therefore, all the glory stays with Him. This morning as we take a meal together, I hope this is something that we can meditate on this morning. And I just want to to go back really quick. I'm going to reverse back to that Colossians. If you could reverse back to that Colossians passage for just a moment. I want us to remember that God has spoken. God has spoken to all of humanity. God has spoken to all creation. God has spoken to you and me, and he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we get so tied up in trying to drive conversations, all we do is we create a lot of noise that doesn't allow for people around us to hear the voice of God. So maybe we should speak a little less, listen a little bit more, make the words that we say at opportune times, seasoned with salt, intentional, patient, but full of truth and love. God spoke to us once and for all through his son Jesus Christ. In fact, he retained the power to be able to transform hearts and lives through his Holy Spirit by the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ. And each of us should even breathe a little bit of sigh of relief that it doesn't rely on you and it doesn't rely on me to bring someone to Jesus Christ. It requires our obedience. Our obedience to be available. 
to be willing to answer and to speak. But the transformation belongs to God. As we take our meal this morning, I hope that's something that we can be praying about right now. Those those future encounters that we have with those who are outside of our faith. Let's begin that first part of that Colossians passage right now and pray. And dedicate those interactions to the power of God moving in those people's lives and not the power of our words. Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, was given to each one of us, Lord, to be our King and our Lord. Lord, his sacrifice on the cross, allowing his body to be broken for us and allowing his blood to be shed for us. Lord, a sinless man taking on sin for the sake of the sinful. Lord, he became Lord. He became all-powerful. He became the transformation, and he became the regeneration. Father, I just pray this morning that as we take this meal, we remember the power that lies with Christ. Lord, the, the, the work that belongs to your Holy Spirit given to us by the sacrifice of Christ. And that you, God, open doors. Lord, may we step through those doors when you open them. Not kick them down. Be reverent. Be worshipful. Be honoring to an all-sovereign God. Who has all things under control. Who has all things under his sight. In Christ I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.